Well, good evening, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. We're up to Judges 17, and what that means is we've now finished the judges, the individual careers of the judges, and we're now in the epilogue or the conclusion of the story. And uh, what we're going to see now is more looking at everyday life uh, or, or samples of everyday life among the Israelites before we were looking at the actual careers. Now we're just going to look at you know what happens underneath the surface. And this is not necessarily sequential. These things could have been happening uh, alongside the, the, the judges that we've just finished reading about. Let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll cover, God willing, uh, Judges 17 and 18 uh, this evening as they, they form a unit. Heavenly Father, we're ever so grateful to you, Lord, for your, your everlasting mercy, your love for Israel, your covenant with Israel. We thank you, God, for uh, grafting us into Israel. And we thank you, Father, for giving us a hunger and a thirst for your word. We pray, God, that you will bless us as we show up each week uh, wanting to dig deeper, uh, to, to deepen our understanding and to deepen our conviction and our faith, especially now, Father, in this uh, world of turmoil and chaos and instability. Uh, we pray for the stability that comes from building our lives on your word. We praise you. Uh, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. So we are up to uh, Judges 17, and let's just go. I want to just, um, as context, let's go back to um, Deuteronomy, which is where we started when we were beginning the book of Judges. We actually went, but for context, we went to Deuteronomy. So let's do that again. And we read here, when the Lord your God shall deliver them, so these are the people, that the occupants of the promised land that Israel is going into inherit, when the Lord your God shall, and these are mighty, powerful nations and tribes, when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, God is going to do this for you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. This was the plan, that Israel would go into the promised land and completely remove these corrupted individuals from the land. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Just completely remove them from the land. Neither shall you make marriages with them. Your daughter you shall not give unto his son, nor his daughter shall you take unto your son. And of course, we were looking at Samson last week, where he just commands his parents, get me that uh, Philistine woman to wife, and they cave in and do his will. And it's the exact opposite of God's will. Why? For they will turn away your son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. So this was uh, the whole point, is, is stay away from this idolatry, stay away from this corruption. Uh, God is using you to remove the corruption from the land. Don't you become corrupt as well. So have nothing to do with these people. You, you in fact, are to be a model of righteousness to the world. He says, but thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. Why? Because you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself. And of course, we recognize Peter quoting this speaking of the church being a peculiar people because we are grafted into Israel and we are the first fruits of the fulfillment ultimately 
of this selection and this election. So God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And so all people are not equal. God has privileged some people above others. He's the creator. He doesn't apologize for this. In fact, he does this in order to bless all people. A little bit of further context before we get into this uh, epilogue of Judges. That Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So Joshua was a very strong leader. Moses was a strong leader. Joshua came up after him. He was a strong leader. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua. So that generation. And which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. So that was the context uh, there was very specific commands that Israel was given to to serve the Lord, and um, they didn't follow that. They didn't follow that. Uh, Joshua did as he took them into the promised land, and, and that, that generation was very careful, but then it, it just deteriorated. And so after Joshua's death, and we begin the book of Judges, uh, Othniel was a very righteous judge, but after that we just see this, this uh, complete deterioration from, um, in fact, if we just take a look at the, uh, the careers of these judges that we've studied, we'll see here that <clears throat> we see how um, there's this sort of the unit one, unit two, unit three, unit four. And I like the way this person, uh, Steve Rudd, has sh- kind of shown this sort of descent because uh, the, 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 the situation just keeps getting worse and worse. So they go from, and let me just uh, make this bigger for you. Give me one moment. There we go. So we go from Othniel, which, uh, you know, clearly he was a man that, uh, and that should be Othniel. He's got a typo there, not Othniel. Uh, he, he, he was a righteous judge. He did what was right. He married righteously. Uh, he, you see he was adhering to the word of God. From there we have Ehud, who is a deceptive man. We have Deborah, who actually told Barak, you need to deliver the people. Barak was very cowardly, wouldn't go unless she was with him. She said, okay, they will be delivered, but it won't be to your honor. It'll be to the honor of a woman. And we see that a woman actually was the one who drove the tent peg into the enemy of uh, Israel. Then we saw Gideon, who was very faithless and took a while to, to believe God. And even when he then delivered God, he, he wanted to sort of interject himself into the deliverance so that he would get credit for the deliverance and not just not just God. Abimelech was a complete disaster, a very ambitious man and, and uh, wanting to uh, make up for his earlier rejection. Uh, and then we don't hear much about Tola and, and Yer, but you know clearly this is a time when Israel is descending. Uh, then we saw the um, story of Jephthah and how ambitious he was. And... Um, well, Abimelech was ruthless. Uh, Jephthah was really ambitious, uh, very knowledgeable about God, but only academically, not really caring about uh, doing the will of God. And then, of course, we looked at the career of Samson, which was just oh, uh, horrible to, to actually read this. And this is a man that's supposed to represent God. However, all of these judges advanced the will of God, all of them. Uh, they moved the ball forward for Israel. They kept Israel alive. They, re- they delivered Israel from her enemies. So 
we uh, understand then that uh, you know Israel is precious to God. Israel is precious to God, and despite the unrighteousness of the nation, God uses these imperfect men uh, and a woman in one case. Um, you know, to the shame of the nation, he used a mother of, uh, in Israel uh, because of his covenant with Israel, because of his love for Israel. So we now come to Judges 17, which is now sort of a snapshot of what's going on at the on the ground. So we sort of saw what's going on with the leaders, but what what happens on the ground? What's been? Give us a sample. Uh, and so the the author here is giving. Uh, as a sense, and I, I, I think this really was written for Saul, uh, to understand the importance of leadership and how Israel needed uh, a king to pull everybody together and keep them pointed to the Lord. So let's get a sense now of life in Israel. And there was a man, Judges 17, there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And Micah means who is like Jehovah. So it's a, a, a name that praises Jehovah. And he's from Ephraim. So this is one of the most powerful tribes, if not the most powerful. And he said unto his mother, the 1,100, that's, that's a big number, the 1,100 shekels of silver, and that's in fact the same number when we were in Samson that each of the men offered uh, Delilah to, to take down Samson. Uh, the eleven hundreds of shekels of si- the eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you. So somebody stole a very large amount of m- uh, money from his mother. Obviously, she would be really upset to find that she was saving up this money and suddenly it went missing, and she pronounced a curse on the thief. Uh, it must have been a terrible curse because when Micah hears it, it terrifies him. And he said unto his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were stolen from you, about which you cursed, and spake of also in my ears, so she's probably sitting with him at breakfast, and I can't believe somebody stole this money from me, and, and then just bring down the curses of God on this person. And he's listening to this, and, and maybe over and over at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, uh, before he goes to bed, when he wakes up in the morning, she's just really moved uh, with, with energy to curse this person, whoever this thief was, that took the money. And you spoke of this also in my ears. Behold, mm, the silver's with me. <laughs> I stole it from you. I took it. And how does the mother react? So she's cursing the thief. She's dismissed. This is a big amount of money that was taken from her. How does she react? And his mother said, Blessed be you of the Lord, my son. So, you know, we have to be careful as parents that we are, you know, down the line. And we we teach our children righteousness. And, you know, as a young man, uh, as a boy, I, I was punished a lot, maybe more than my siblings. And you know what? I never felt abused. I, I got serious punishment. But I always felt like I deserved it. That that's just. This is justice, and so I just grew up with a sense of right, a good, solid sense of right and wrong. And I think you know, here's a religious woman. Or, you know, she's saving up this woman, and uh, so she's saving up. This woman is saving up to devote this money to the Lord. Uh, so she's uh, you know, uh, uh, clearly, at least ostensibly, uh, a, a righteous woman. 
Um, but yet, when she finds out her son is a thief, she goes from cursing the thief to blessing the thief. Uh, and, and, you know, as Christians, we can't be like this, where we just have our children and they can do no wrong. Our children can do no wrong. We'll defend them no matter what evil they do. No, if our children are wrong, we tell them they're wrong. And we hold the line and we show them the scriptures. She doesn't care about the scriptures. She doesn't really care about God. This is all surface. And so this is what we see is happening on the ground with Israel. Uh, it's all surface religion. In, in fact, it's worse than that. Now, just to give you a sense of how much is 1,100 shekels of silver, what is that worth? Uh, this is what this is to do with Abraham. My Lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. So this is when Abraham wanted to buy a plot of land to bury his wife. Uh, and this is how much he paid for the land. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. She saved up 1,100 shekels. Uh, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead there. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim, and he weighed to Ephraim the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth. So he was very careful, like, I am paying you for this land. I'm paying you what it's worth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. So imagine 400 shekels of silver buys a very, and, and Abraham wanted a very uh, desirable plot of land, 400 shekels of silver. We're talking about 1,100 shekels of silver here. Also in Proverbs, what does the Proverbs say about thieves, particularly those who steal from their parents? Whoso robs his father or his mother and says, it is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. So although Micah has the name that praises Jehovah, he's actually a companion of the devil. Let's go back to Judges. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, so he didn't uh, repent, he wasn't sorry, he was just afraid of the curse that she just kept pronouncing on this thief. And he probably felt like, my life is over. If this curse comes to pass, uh, I'm done for. So because of that fear, that he went and he restored the 1,100 shekels of silver. But this in no way speaks of any sort of repentance. It's just really, uh, he was worried. He probably couldn't sleep at night. And now he's restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother. So when his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto Jehovah from my hand for my son. Sounds like a very righteous woman. So this 11, and, and a very wealthy woman, again, 1,100 shekels of silver, that's a lot of money. And this was just what she saved up simply for this purpose. And it's dedicated to the Lord. Now, there's a couple of things wrong here. Uh, first of all, she says she wholly dedicated it to the Lord. If you dedicated it to the Lord, it's the Lord's. You know, you have people today who will give tithes or they'll give offerings, and then they want, maybe they'll phone up and say, I want that back. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. If it's the Lord's, it's the Lord's. So you dedicate it to the Lord, and it's gone. It's out of your hands. And we pray that our offerings and our tithes will be used uh, uh, according to God's will and will bless uh, God's people and advance God's will. But you don't own it anymore. In fact, it was that our tithes are not ours. That first 10% of our increase, it belongs to God. It's not ours. In fact, to keep it is to steal from God. So here she says she's wholly dedicating it to the Lord, and yet she's retaining control of it. And why? What does she want? So that's one thing. She's retaining control of what she says is wholly dedicated to the Lord. And then secondly, what does she want to do with it? She wants to take that 1,100 shekels of silver, which she dedicates to Jehovah, and then what does she want to do? To make a graven image, and sorry, I should make sure that you can see the description.
scripture as we read it together. To make a graven image and a molten image, now therefore I will restore it unto you. So she retains complete control of the money, even though she says it's dedicated to Jehovah. She wants to take the money to make graven images. This is, uh, this is really amazing what we see here. Now, the commandment is very clear. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So you shall not make any graven image, period. But they have drifted so far from Torah, so far from the commandments, that they don't even know that this is wrong. That they, they, They're mixing up, I'm, I'm, I'm so righteous, I'm going to save so much money, and I'm going to use that money to make a graven image, when the, the command is very clear. So this is what's happening on the ground. And it really speaks to a lack of leadership, a lack of instruction, a lack of teaching, a lack of handing down from one generation to the next, the knowledge and purposes of God. Verse 4. Yet he restored the money unto his mother. So he gives the money back. He, he, imagine that. He's, this is a lot of money that he stole from his mother. So that tells you something about him and how selfish he is and how ambitious he is, how self-centered he is. And the only reason he gives the money back is because of this terrible curse that she pronounced upon the thief. As soon as she finds out it's, it's him, she, she flips the curse into a blessing. Uh, so he still, even though he hears the blessing, he still restores the money to his mother. And his mother took 200 shekels of silver. Earlier she said she has wholly dedicated this $1,100, that this is holy. This is, this is separated and it's given unto the Lord. She gets it back and now maybe she's not so keen on her son. So rather than taking the $1,100 uh, shekels to set up this image in the community, to really uh, promote her son as the next leader of the community, she cuts it back. Again, she's retaining control of this, this, this wealth that she's offered to God, which is clearly uh, wrong, but then the purpose that she's going to use it for is wrong, and now she reduces the amount. Don't know, it doesn't say what she does with the other 900, but it, you know, it's supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. So she took 200 shekels of silver, and gave them, I was just thinking of Ananias and Sapphira, who said, you know, we sold the house for so much, the property for so much, and, and then they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they didn't use the full amount. Uh, so maybe she's lying to her son now and saying, this is what 1,100 shekels of silver has built, when it actually it was only two. And his mother took, so a real dysfunctional family, 200 shekels of silver, and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image. And again, you know, the founder is going to be an Israelite, most likely. And they can't even see that, hey, this is wrong. That this is something that we, we, we don't do. Uh, these, we, don't, we don't create these molten images. But that's something that uh, they clearly don't understand. And you can see here the kind of image that they're, we're probably talking about in terms of a molten image. It's probably something that looks, looks along these lines. So, this this is what the, the this is this would be out of silver though. So they've taken the, the gods of the nations around them, which they should have uh, over they should have completely destroyed. Instead of completely destroying those those the gods of those nations, they've now adopted them. So she makes this image. 
He made thereof a graven image and a molten image. And these two images were in the house of Micah. So she made them for her son, and now her son is established, and it maybe becomes some sort of center of worship for the Israelites in that area. And the man, Micah, had a house of gods. So he's some sort of a shrine where there's all these different pagan gods because you never know which idol you might upset, which god you might upset. So think of the Kaaba in, in Arabia before Muhammad cleansed it and just had one god, Allah. It was you know 365 gods because you just never know which god you might upset. Uh, and so he's setting up this, this house that everybody can come and worship. And the man Micah had a house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So he's really setting up this. Uh, you know, today you would think of maybe um, if a young man started a, a, had a technology startup, uh, some sort of cloud-based, internet-based uh, technology. You know, people would be like, wow, okay, he's up and coming. He's going to make it. He's going to be very wealthy. Well, back in the day, it would have been religion, not technology. So he's setting himself up to be very wealthy by, by, by um, uh, marketing religion and trading in religion. So he's establishing this center, and he takes one of his sons, so we know he has more than one son, and uh, this son now becomes his priest, and he's going to officiate in this process. And then the, the narrator gives us this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And we've heard this before, and we saw it with the judges, and we certainly saw it with Samson, the, the final uh, career that we looked at, where whatever he saw with his eyes, he just went after it. Uh, and so here, that was at the leadership level, on the ground, it's the same thing. You know, so goes the leader, so goes the pack. So there was no king. And some people say, you know, these kings, there, there was no judge, no, no Supreme Court judge that people could come to with their cases for the judge to decide what the case. That's not what this is saying. King means king. There was no monarch. Even, even Jehovah himself was rejected as a king. The other nations had kings, but they didn't have a king. They didn't have someone who could kind of consolidate and, and, and provide leadership for them. And so in those days, there was no king in Israel. So whoever is writing this, and we believe it's Samuel, is writing it when this is no longer the case. Now there is a king in Israel, and the, the, the narrator, the author, is writing to say, look, this was the state of affairs before there was a king. Now that there's a king, you have to be very clear about your purpose. Unite Israel in the proper worship of Jehovah. So in those days, before there was a king, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So everything that we just read, what we saw Micah do, what we saw his mother do, what we saw all the judges that we've just uh, read about, everything that they did, everybody's, it's not that they're doing evil, and they are enjoying the evil to, to know that it's evil. They actually think they're doing right. This is, you know, according to their doctrine, according to their philosophy, this is good. What does that mean to us today? The very same thing. These things are written as examples for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. And so, you know, today there's a lack of leadership, and, and, and the church does not. Uh, the church struggles. We live in an age that rejects authority. And so since the 60s, we've had this, this turn in, in culture that rejects authority. And so we struggle to accept authority. 
And yet this is how God works. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, after Christ ascended to heaven, his first priority was to give gifts. And he says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And, and, he, and he does that so that we're not you know, thrown about with every wind of doctrine. That, that the, this is the way God works, to protect the church. And yet the church struggles to respect any form of leadership or to accept any form of leadership. And now as this unfolds, we see Paul writing to Timothy saying, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, every man will want to do what's right in his own eyes. He will not want sound doctrine. He will not want to know what the will of the Lord is. He will not want somebody to tell him, this is the way, walk you in it. He will want to go his own way. So so this is what's going to come upon us. And we can't say, no, we're just way too righteous for this to happen to us. Because the people of Israel in the time of the judges, they thought they were righteous. Everything that we just read about Micah's mother was very religious. And Micah's setting up himself to be very religious. And, And when we do that, we can seduce ourselves. And we can deceive ourselves. And that's why God gives teachers. For the time will come when the people of God will not endure sound teaching. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And we're going to see the exact same thing in Judges. Now people want to hear what they want to hear. And they will look for the teachers that will bring to them what they want to hear. But the faithful teachers are going to give us what we need to hear. And they're going to give it to us right out of the word of God. Undiluted. Without apology. Back to Judges. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, or Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. So he's not necessarily um, bloodline Judah, but he's living with the tribe of Judah, and he's actually a Levite, but he's staying there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. In other words, he wasn't very useful there. They didn't have much need for him there. And he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. So he's looking for employment. He's unemployed. He's a Levite that's unemployed because Israel doesn't have much use for the religion of Jehovah, the true religion of Jehovah. And here we see in Numbers 3, that when the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister unto him, and they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the children of Israel to do service of the tabernacle. So this whole system was set up And now they're in the promised land, and the idea was the Levites, they wouldn't have any allotment because they would continue to serve in this role, but the Israelites would be faithful in their tithes and their offerings uh, so that the Levites could focus on the religious leadership and service. Now, you know, same same story, different verse. You know, it could get better, but it's going to get worse. Uh, Malachi 3, as we come to the end of the Old Testament, is the same situation where God is saying, what are you doing? 
Why are the Levites unemployed? Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Why? That there may be meat in my house. This is the, the economy of Jehovah. That you pay your tithes and offerings to finance the, 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 the Levite ministry. That there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith. Test me with this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So with the right doctrine, with the right teaching, this is going to strengthen Israel and put Israel in the, in, in the will of God. And God is now going to significantly bless the, the people of Israel. But the opposite happens. They discard good doctrine and they end up being cursed. Back to Judges 17. So uh, this unemployed Levite is wandering around trying to find employment. He leaves Bethlehem in Judah. He comes to Ephraim, again the biggest tribe, and uh, he comes to the house of Micah. Probably very clearly a wealthy man, so why not go there? And Micah said unto him, where are you coming from? And he said, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah. And I'm going to sojourn, I'm traveling where I may find a place. I'm, I'm basically unemployed, and I'm trying to find work. And Micah said unto him, dwell with me. And be unto me a father and a priest. It's not so much like a physical father of authority, but it's almost like uh, more like a diviner, somebody I can go to for guidance. When I, when I have a decision to make, I can come to you, and you serve as a priest for me as well. And I will give you, notice this, 10 shekels of silver by the year. So the mother saved up 1,100 shekels of silver to create a graven image. You can imagine how spectacular this image would have been for 1,100 shekels. In the end, she spent 200 shekels. But still, you can imagine how spectacular it would be if it's going to take, um, you know, 20 years, or sorry, 10 shekels, yeah, 20 years to save up that much money if this Levite, was, if he was going to say, I'm going to create an image like that. that, that that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money. But he's going to make here 10 shekels of silver by the year. And as soon as I'll give you clothing and I'll give you your food. So I'll, I'll pay you 10 shekels a year. I will give you clothing, and I'll pay for all your food. And imagine the clothing is going to be very spectacular to, again, promote this religion. So the Levite went in. This is a Levite who is supposed to be dedicated to Jehovah. And instead, he's, he's a minister for hire. You know, how, how much did you say you were going to pay me? Okay, I'm in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, Micah. And the young man was unto him as one of his sons. So remember he had consecrated his perhaps his eldest son, but one of his sons to be priest. Now he gets a better offer. And he kicks his son out of the priesthood and now puts a real Levite in this role. So you can just see how opportunistic and ambitious this man is and how dysfunctional he is. Steals from his mother, uh, um, uses his son, discards his son, brings in this Levite, uh, and Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now, finally, I know that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. So you can tell in verse 13 that the curse, the intense curse that his mother pronounced on the thief that really affected him. That shook him up to the point where he restored the money 
and it was still in the back of his mind. And now finally he has some relief that by having uh, a Levite as a good luck charm, and this is again how you see that the pagan religion and idolatry that's around them creeping into Israel. They, they were supposed to wipe these people out, wipe their influence out, but they didn't. So now you see their influence creeping into Israel. And he says, I, I have a lucky charm. I have a Levite as my priest. And so now everything's just going to go so well for me. In those days, and again now the author there repeats this, in those, day, in those days there was no king in Israel. He doesn't repeat the second part, so every man did what was right in his own eyes, but I think we, we get the idea by now. But he's now introducing this next movement in the story uh, with the same phrase. Everybody just does what's right in their own eyes because there's no leadership. In those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. So again, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. Each tribe was told by Joshua what their allotment was in the promised land. And they were given the instruction to go in and take that allotment. The Danites didn't do that. And so we saw here right at the beginning when we started Judges in verse uh, 34 of chapter 1, that the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain. They had to back up and retreat, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. So the Amorites were very powerful, and the Danites were not faithful. So they could not overcome the Amorites, and they had to leave. That that, that was their allotment. They had to leave it. So now we see here that they're searching for an inheritance. Where, where, where can they stay? They're like wanderers, and they're like, we need to establish ourselves somewhere. The last thing that would occur to them is like, why don't we just do what God said? Why don't we just do what the instructions that Joshua gave us, why don't we do that? No, no, we've got our own ideas. And the church is exactly the same way today. That rather than read the text and be faithful to the text, we have our own ideas. Text says one thing, but we're smarter. We're more sophisticated. We have other ideas. The Danites had other, other ideas beside what God instructed them. Verse 2. And the children of Dan sent of their family five men from their coasts, men of valor, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go, search the land, who when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there. So, a couple of things here. One is that they come from Zora and Eshtaol. So, this is where we just left off with Samson. Samson came from the same area, or his parents. They're spying out the land, which sounds very much like you know Joshua and Caleb and the original spies that went into the promised land to sort of see the land. So it's the same model that they're following. Uh, and then they come to Mount Ephraim, which is the biggest tribe, and they go to Micah. So Micah obviously is a very, uh, comes from a very wealthy family. And it's sort of like maybe it's downtown. So you, you know, downtown Ephraim or downtown Mount Ephraim is the house of Micah. And his parents sort of set him up to be that, that attention-getting center. So they went there and they lodged there. So they're, they're on their way trying to find land and they're staying there with Micah. Now, just to remind you of, of uh, Samson, 
there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And so that's where they come from. And it's also here where we see the Spirit of the Lord began to move at time, move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So it's very interesting that they are coming from the place where the Holy Spirit actually, where first of all, my, um, Samson's parents come from, but it's also the place where the Spirit of the Lord began to move on Samson. When they were by the house of Micah, so they're staying at Micah's house. Uh, he's giving them accommodation. When they were there, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite. So you could say they, they recognized the accent. So, you know, the, the young man uh, came from Judah and traveled down to Ephraim. They also traveled down to Ephraim. Um, we know that Judah and Samson had some issues where Sam, the, Judah, the, the Jews gave up Samson to the Philistines. And so there was some perhaps cross-pollination between the Danites and the, the Judahites. And so they can recognize the, the accent. So they're in the house of Micah, and they hear this Levite talking, and they knew the voice. And they turned in there and said unto him, what are, you, what are you doing here? That's odd. The last person we'd expect to see here is somebody from another place. Uh, what are you? So they said unto him, who brought you here? And what makes you, in the, why are you here? And what have you here? Like, this is weird. And he said unto them, thus and thus deals Micah with me. And he has hired me, and I am his priest. So he's just so happy and he's like, lay, I, I, I have employment. Uh, this man hired me, and I'm his priest. And they said unto him, ask counsel, we ask, we beg you, of God, of Jehovah, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. So we're, we're on a mission here, and uh, we want to know, is, is our way going to be prosperous? And the priest said unto them, Shalom, <laughs> go in peace. Before the Lord is your way wherein you go. Now, they said, ask of the Lord. Ask counsel, we beg you, of God, that we may know. The priest doesn't ask counsel. He's just like, obviously, you want to be successful in what you're doing. Oh, peace to you. Yeah, absolutely. He tells them what they want to hear. He tells Micah what Micah wants to hear. He is completely unfaithful. And, and again, you know, in our day, Isaiah prophesies of Israel throughout time, which say to the seers, see not. We don't want you to see. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Don't, don't tell us the things in the word of God. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. And so this time is coming when the people will not endure sound doctrine. We have to fight against that and recognize it in ourselves and recognize it in each other and, and help each other to endure to the end. And the only way we can endure to the end, uh, you know, you're thinking of Deacon Jan's sermon on Sabbath, which he, which he just gave, we've got to hold on to the word of God. It's very simple. Just Stick to the word of God. And that's clearly what Israel did not do. It's what this Levite didn't do. There's no leadership here. And, and he, gives, he tells them what they want to hear. Smooth things. The, 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 go in peace. Before the Lord is your way wherein you go. So it, didn't even, it, doesn't, have an, it doesn't have to ask God. Give me a moment. Let me go and seek God's will. No. Peace. 
Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless after the manner of the Zidonians, quiet and secure. So they find a spot where there's clearly um, no protection. It's, it's, it's wide open. So it's an open spot. And so they say the, the people dwell careless. They're, they're just, they, don't have any, they don't have any cares. Maybe the, 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 just the geographical location is isolated, so they don't really have to worry about things. It's quiet and secure. And there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything. And they were far from the Zidonians and had no business with any man. So it's a, quite an isolated spot. And they came unto their brethren to Zorah and Eshtaal. And their brethren said unto them, What do you say? So what did you find out? And they said, Arise, that we may go up. So they clearly see now that this is a, this is an opportunity. They, 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 so it's like the, the you know Joshua and Caleb when they saw the promised land, they said, "Let's take it." So they're kind of operating in the same spirit, except that they're not. <clears throat> and they said, "Arise, that we may go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good." And are you still like, like, come on, let's go. Be not slothful to go and to enter to possess the land. So this is not land that was allotted to them. They're actually being unfaithful to God. When you go, you shall come unto a people secure and to a large land. For God has given it into your hands. Do, 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 they, do they know this? God, God has allotted land for Dan. But no, this is the land they want. So the kind of covetousness, they, they, they want what God has not uh, designated for them. For God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. And there went from there the family of the Danites, out of Zorah and out of Eshtaal, 600 men appointed with weapons of war. So uh, I don't think this is the whole tribe, but this is probably just the, the military-aged men. Go and take the land. And they went up, and they... They do have their family with them, but I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's the whole tribe. If it is, they've really been reduced. Maybe they've been in a lot of battles and they've just been very unsuccessful and they're just reduced in number. It's not, it's not like the, you know, uh, Gideon was able to put together, what, 32,000 men? Uh, so it's clearly a, a very small number here. And they went up <clears throat> and pitched in Kerjath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore they called that place Mahana Dan unto this day. So they wherever they go, they like to call things. So this is the camp of Dan. Behold, it is behind Kerjath Jerim. And they passed there unto Mount Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. So the, the spies took a certain uh, route and they're following the same route and along the way they come to the house of Micah. So the five spies that were originally that originally went out, they're with these men, and they've obviously led them the same route that they took, took them to the house of Micah. Then answered the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish, and said unto their brethren, uh, Excuse me, do you know that there is in these houses an ephod and teraphim 
and a graven image, and a molten image? Now, therefore, consider what you have to do. I mean, are these the people of God? Is this the promise, the people who are, who've gone into the promised land, the peculiar people who are to be a shining example to the rest of the world? Brother shall betray brother, we're told in the scripture. And this is what happens when people depart from the word of God. And so these people have no concept of what's right and wrong. They do what's right in their own eyes. So these uh, five spies, the whole time they've been thinking about the wealth of Micah and thinking about these graven images that are made of silver and are very spectacular. And they're like, you know what? You know what's inside that house? There's these graven images and a molten image, and these, these gods, this ephod and this teraphim, these, these uh, religious uh, paraphernalia. So consider, think about it, and what are you going to do about it? In other words, they're encouraging them to steal from a fellow Israelite. And they turned thitherward, or th- turned toward it, and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the Levite probably had a little um, quarters that were separate from the main house. So they come to him. And the 600 men, appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. So that's quite a, a military. It's like, you know, when the 3,000 Philistines came, uh, I think it was, no, I don't know if it was 3,000, I think it was 3,000 Jews that came. But when the, the Philistines came to Judah, and they were in battle array. That was very intimidating. Uh, same here. So you got these 600 uh, warriors at the gate. That's quite, a, quite an intimidating stance. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in there and took the graven image. So they, they spied out the land, but they also spied out Micah's house. And they knew exactly where things were. So they come in. And they took the graven image. So imagine this. These are Israelites. And they are coveting after graven images. They took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. So you get the sense here that uh, this is more of a distraction. That maybe they're talking to the priest and he doesn't exactly know what, what's going on while they're distracting him. So, so he's there talking to these uh, 600 men at the gate while the five men go in and they take everything. And these went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the carved image, the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, what are you doing? So now, now he realizes what they're doing. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, this is Micah's. And they said unto him, basically, shut up. Hold your peace. Lay your hand upon your mouth, don't say a word, and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. So you want employment? We'll we'll employ you. Isn't it better for you to be a priest unto the house? Is it better for you to be a priest unto the house of one man, or that you should be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel? So think about it. Right now you're uh, a, a priest to Micah. That's just one man. If you come with us, you'll be a priest to a whole tribe of Israel. And the priest's heart was glad. 
This, this is where we are. And this is just, again, a snapshot of what's going on on the ground. So we've, we've come through the careers of these different judges and we see the deterioration of Israel through the leadership. But now we're on the ground level. The typical family of Israel, typical tribe, what, what, what's happening with these people? And there's just no connection to Torah whatsoever. They are completely disconnected from God even though God is still on their lips. So this Levite is thrilled with this offer. This is fantastic. You're stealing from my, my employer. Uh, you, you're, you're taking his wealth. Uh, you want me to betray him. But hey, it's good for me. Uh, yeah, I'm all in. The priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. So so these guys stole it. Now the priest says, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm the religious leader here. I'll take it. Let's go. Now, in Malachi 2, again, we, this is the history of Israel. But as we conclude the Old Testament, God speaks of Levi and the Levites. And he says, my covenant was with Levi of life and peace. So there was a separate covenant that God made with Levi. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me. And that's a story in the Old Testament with the time of Moses, where Levi stood up and his family stood up and withstood the evil in Israel. And he was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. That's what Levi did. And then he goes on to say, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge. That's what priests should do. The whole world can be going, what's the saying? Going to hell in a handbasket. The whole church can be departing. The whole nation of Israel can be unfaithful. The priest should be stable. The priest should be fixed in Torah, in the knowledge of the scriptures. And when people come to the priest, he doesn't give them his own ideas. Well, I think this. Oh, yes, peace, shalom, shalom, peace to you. What you're doing is great. Yeah, God will bless you for sure. You know this decision that you're making? I know it's going to make you happy, and, and it's going to make God happy. Why is it going to make God happy? Because it makes you happy. And we're just here to give you joy. No. If you come to us, we're going to give you the word of God. Whether you like it or not, just we'll listen. Well, this is what Torah says. Here's the principle from Torah. Here's what the scripture says. Here's what the prophecy says. Here's an example from the Old Testament. Here's an example from the New Testament. We've given you the information. We're not going to make the decision for you. We're going to give you the word of God. And then you have a decision to make. For the priest, the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. They should come to the priest for the Torah. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's how God has designed it. But you priests of Israel, you have departed out of the way. Nothing new here. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So there was a special covenant of Levi, and the Levites were to fulfill this. They've corrupted it. So now the Danites come to this Levite, and instead of saying, look, here's what the Torah says, and what you're doing is wrong, and I could never go with you, you're, you're wicked people. This is what God says, you need to repent. No, oh, this is, his heart was glad. Because he corrupted the covenant of Levi. So back to Judges 18, verse 21. 
So they turned and departed and put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. So this, this shows you, this verse alone, shows you that here they actually know they're doing wrong. Or at least they know that they're going to incur Micah's wrath. So they're leaving, and they know that Micah's going to find out what they've done, and he's going to chase them. So what do they do? They put their family and the cattle in the front, and all the warriors then are in the back. So when Micah catches up to them, they will face the warrior. he will face the warriors first. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together. So you can see that Micah was a leader, this, this young man, a very ambitious young man. You can tell he was a leader in the community, he was set up to be a leader. He set up his house as a shrine. Everybody was, so he was sort of the downtown of that community. And, uh, and so the houses that were near to Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. So he pulls together a kind of a small militia team <clears throat> to go after Dan to get his goods back. And they cried unto the children of Dan, and they turned their faces, so Dan turned and said unto Micah, what's wrong? Do you have, do you have a problem? What's, what's your issue? Hello? What, what do you want? Is there a problem here? What ails you that you come with such a company? But quite a lot of men with you, Micah. What's going on? And he said, you have taken... These, these, this is an Israelite talking to an Israelite. So Micah talking to Dan, the tribe of Dan. These are Israelites. These are people of the Torah. And he said, <laughs> it's, just, it's hard for me to read this. Uh, it's hard for me to read it just on, it, on its face, but then it's hard for me to read it because of the prophetic significance. That these things are written unto us as examples upon whom the ends of the age have come, that we should not lust after evil things. But the time will come when we will not endure sound doctrine. And we will look for teachers that will teach us smooth things. We'll have itching ears. We'll want to hear what we want to hear so that we can pursue our own lusts. So what goes around comes around and it's, it's going to come around again. For the church, the first roots of Israel, this is the prophecy. So it's hard for me to read this. And he said, you Danites of Israel have taken away my gods of Ephraim. Uh, I'm an Israelite tribe. You're Israel. We have the Torah. You've taken gods. I, I made these gods. And the priest who was serving as an idolatrous priest at my beck and call. And you are gone away. And what have I more? So you know this man was, you know, the fact that he stole the 1,100 shekels of silver in the first place, very ambitious, very materialistic. Uh, he sets up this shrine. He gets the Levite. He, oh, great, God is going to bless me now. And uh, he's, he's all about material wealth. And you have Christians today, this whole health and wealth gospel, they're the same way. I have God in my back pocket, and every time I you know, rub my hands in prayer, he gives me magic things. Uh, and this is the same, this is the kind of religion that Micah has. And now he says, look, if you take all this away from me, and I, I'm quite a wealthy person in Ephraim, you've taken my, wealth, taken my wealth away, I've got nothing left. And what have I more? And what is this that you say unto me, what's my problem? Like, of course I have a problem. What, do, what are you asking me? What ails me? Now, how do the children of Dan, how, how does one tribe answer a fellow Israelite? <clears throat> And the children of Dan said unto him, 
let not your voice be heard among us. We, we don't want to hear you. Like, don't make that mistake twice. Okay, you've come to us with a complaint. We never want to hear from you again. Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon you. Take a look at our army here. And you lose your life with the lives of your household. We're not playing here. We've taken what what we think belongs to us. Go home, lest we slaughter you and your family. And the children of Dan went their way. That this is this is what the people of God have come to. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back unto his house. This is uh, maybe this is the curse that the mother called down upon him. But he thought, oh, I've got a Levite now. Everything's going to go so well for me. Uh, not so much. Now he's going back to Ephraim, Mount Ephraim, penniless. He's got nothing now. They've taken it all. Even his priest is gone. Now, this kind of treachery and cruelty from one Israelite to another, what does the prophecy say? 2 Timothy 3.1 This know also, we need to know this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. This, this is what happens when God's people leave the word of God. We have no idea. We have no idea. And we feel like, because we've been in the word of God, we feel like we're righteous. And then slowly the word of God leaves us, but we still believe we're righteous. And we still go through the religious motions. We still go through the religious rituals. We still keep the Sabbath. We still keep the holy days. Maybe we still keep uh, giving offerings and tithes. Uh, we still say the right things. God is still coming off our lips, but our heart is far from God. And the word of God means nothing to us. We, you know, maybe we're not sure about something, and the word of God is given to us, and we, we throw it away. We don't, we don't want to hear that. We have nothing to say about the word of God. Well, where we're heading is to become perilous people. In the last days, we will be in peril. It's going to be very dangerous. And what we're going to see is what we saw with the Danites. And they took the things which Micah had made, and they took the priest which he had, and came unto Laish, unto a people that were at quiet and secure. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire. Now, this is not according to God's instruction. They had their allotment. They don't care what God says. Every man's doing what's right in his own eyes, and whatever pleases them, that's what they're going after. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Zidon, so they were just isolated. And they had no business with any man. And it was in the valley that lies by Beth Rehob. And they built a city and dwelt therein. And they called the name of the city Dan. So wherever they go, they like to put their name on things. It's interesting because you know they're trying to establish themselves without God. Uh, when we see later on, even in the book of Revelation, when the, the tribes are numbered, Dan isn't mentioned. Dan didn't take the allotment. Dan didn't follow God. Dan didn't stick to the word of God. They disappear. They completely disappear. But they're trying to establish themselves with their own strength. And they called the name of the city Dan, 
after the name of Dan, their father, who was born unto Israel. So they are Israelites, so they're, just, they're, just, they're acting like devils. Howbeit, the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. This, this is bizarre. But this is what happens to the people of God when they leave the word of God. So, so being the people of God is irrelevant if we are not abiding in the word of God. It's the word of God that keeps us alive in God. But if we depart from the word of God, this we're looking at our future. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, so we get the name of the priest now, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So now we see that the land was, and, and so Manasseh is not necessarily the tribe of Manasseh, but just the name Manasseh. Um, so they think they're going to do. They think they're going to prosper, uh, and yet God says, "I will come with sudden destruction," and so the Assyrians are going to come in eventually and just take them away, and to completely destroy everything. But they have this religiosity, and they feel really good about themselves, and they're mentioning God's name, but God has nothing to do with them. So they set up this uh, graven image, and they have this priest uh, doing their bidding. <clears throat> And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made, all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So this is before the house of God was established in Jerusalem. The worship center was Shiloh, but they don't care about that. They've got their own image, they've got their own religion, and uh, they think they're doing very well and they're going to prosper. And so this is just a snapshot. And this gives us a sense of typical family in Israel, typical tribe behavior, what's going on in the land when there's no leadership, there's no uh, adherence to the word of God, the Levites have corrupted themselves, the people have no use for them, they're, they're ministers for hire, the Levites are priests for hire, and they'll go to the highest bidder and they'll say whatever uh, the, the people with itching ears want to hear. You know, so this is where you know, Paul sort of sets the model to be tent makers, that we, we, don't, we don't need money. We, we make our own money, even if it causes us to have to work long hours and double, you know, this is all volunteer work that we do as ministry uh, within the CGI model. Most of us are volunteers, and, and then we still have our own work to do. We have to make tents, uh, but this way, you know, we're not ministers for hire. We just we study the Word of God, and we teach the Word of God. And if those if people cannot endure sound doctrine, that's on them. The job of the watchman is to give the people sound doctrine and to give the people warning from God. And if they take heed, that's wonderful. And if they don't, oh well. But we do have the examples here in the Old Testament to see what happens to God's people when they depart from the Word of God. So this is the, the epilogue of Judges. The, this is the first part, 1718, sort of tells a, a unit. Uh, next week, God willing, we'll get into chapter 19, and it is horrendous. It's horrendous, and I'll warn you from now, viewer discretion is advised. It's going to be very, very difficult reading. Uh, we definitely want to make sure you re read ahead of time so you know what we're going to be uh, covering. It's going to be very difficult, but this is what happens to the people of God 
when they depart from the word of God. And the, the Spirit expressly says that God's people will depart from the word. They will depart from the faith. And perilous times are coming. So this is going to give us some insight into what the future holds. Brethren, we serve a mighty God. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me this evening. And uh, I hope that the study is edifying. Uh, we're almost finished the book of Judges. We've got three more chapters. I, think, I don't think we'll cover all three chapters next week, but we're almost finished. And again, uh, try to study these books uh, for their value today. Don't just read them as the sort of ancient text that happened long, long time ago. Uh, no, these things are written as examples for us, that we don't follow these bad examples. We serve a mighty God, a faithful God. Let's be faithful to our God. Amen. God bless. Let me just finish with this uh, proper image here. And we don't want to be serving the idols that uh, Israel served.